With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, worship today. I hope if you have your Bibles, hope that you do. If you'll turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Mark chapter 13. We have been in um, a book study in Mark since last Easter. And so we want to continue in just working exegetically through this passage of Scripture. And today we come to a, a very um, wonderful passage of Scripture um, but it has a, many challenges, if you will. You know, we, um, I think we as individuals, the title of my sermon, by the way, is uh, Preparing for Tribulation. Now, we um, as individuals, we like to be prepared, right? We, a young age, when you're getting ready for um, school, you like to be prepared to make sure you've got a book bag that you need. You've got the school supplies that you need to make you successful in school. The same thing as you go on to college. You want to make sure you have the computer that you need for your classes. You need, want to make sure you've got the right books that you need for that course. You have to make sure you have that just that right Quizlet book that you need for that class. You want all the things that you need to make sure you're prepared for um, to be successful in that class. And not only we want to be prepared for, for school and education, we want to be prepared for work as we go into the workplaces. But many times, one of the times we kind of go, we really want to be prepared is we want to be prepared for crises, right? We want to be prepared when um, things are going to happen. And we tend to do that here in the Carolinas, right? Uh, we like to be prepared when crisis come about in our um, little neck of the woods, if you will. So that's why when there's a snowstorm coming, whether it is a half of inch of flurries or ice, everyone, everyone will go to Food Line and Walmart and Harris Teeter or wherever you shop, right? And everyone will go buy bread and milk. Now, why you need bread and milk for a half of inch of ice, I do not know. But we will all do that, right? Because we've got to make sure we're prepared. I don't know if you want to get your milk for that little bit of snow cream you're going to make with that little flurries that you have. You're going to be prepared, right? Hurricane, we see that many times in our kind of neck of the woods here in the Carolinas. And a lot of times when a hurricane comes and we're getting word from the meteorologist that one is coming, we'll go get prepared. We'll go to Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever, and we'll buy every flashlight that Home Depot or Lowe's has to sell. And that you will not be able to find one. You won't be able to find any batteries because we want to be prepared that if the lights go out, we can see, right? Jesus is, has left now Jerusalem. It's Wednesday He's, um, being, he's beginning prepared. It's Holy Week. It's the week before the crucifixion. He's getting prepared to suffer and to die. As we come to this passage of Scripture, he's on that Mount Olives, and he gives this, if you will, these, this final message called the Olivet Discourse to his disciples. As we come to this particular passage in the Olivet Discourse, we've now, we're in the third message of this um, discourse that he gives them. I want you to understand, this is understood as the most difficult passage of Scripture in all of Mark. Some would say the verses that we're going to read in just a minute may be the most difficult passage of Scripture in all of the New Testament. So there's great difficulty around surrounding 
these verses. The difficulty comes in light of, or in lieu of, if you will, how or when are these words fulfilled? When Jesus gives these words of prophecy to the disciples, when are they fulfilled? And so I think there's, uh, it's very important for us to understand that, to see that that is there. Now, um, I want you to see there's different views as we come to this. So there's a great difficulty when it comes to um, Jesus' word and, and, it, and this passage in particular, and it all comes around when they're fulfilled. So there's different views. Let me just walk through these. And these are hugely important. So if you even want to write these down, um, they'll be important for you in the future. Some would believe Jesus' words that he spoke here were fulfilled during the time of disciples. That would be in support of verse 30 that says, when they ask, when will these things happen? He says, this will happen before this generation ends. So some would say the words that Jesus, is, we're going to read in just a minute, were fulfilled during the time or the life of these disciples. So within the next 40 years, if you will. Some would say Jesus' words are yet to be fulfilled. They are a future tribulation. There is a future fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy that we're going to read. And then some would say, and this is what I mentioned to you last time, some would say that this prophecy that Jesus um, gives in here follows the pattern of Old Testament prophecy, which would say that there's a present fulfillment, which would happen in the lifetime of the disciples, but there's also would be a future fulfillment for end times. I say all those views to you, and there's going to be a lot of this kind of historical and understanding a lot of this throughout this message today. And I want you to understand it's super, super important today as you come to this passage of Scripture that you understand those three. That you understand that there's different views in interpreting this passage of Scripture. And some believe that it, that it, must, it must have been fulfilled when, um, for these disciples. Some believe that there's a future fulfillment. And some believe that there's a dual fulfillment, if you will, present and future. You must understand those three and listen to me today. You must determine what you believe. I'll be honest with you, as I come to this passage of Scripture, it's very difficult um, studying all this week, studying this subject throughout the life of my ministry in different periods of time. It's very easy for me to come to you and just give you one view and say, this is the view that I believe and this is the view that you believe. But in doing so, I would be spoon-feeding you. I would be determining for you what you are to believe and I think there's a real danger in that. We are so influenced by what we read. Even as I read these different interpretations of this passage, I find that as I read one guy, I maybe tend to believe what he says, and I read another book that he believes a little different, I tend to believe what he says, and I kind of feel like I'm swayed back and forth, pulled to and fro from the different opinions and different interpretations of this passage. But then at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what this person says or what this person says, I must determine what I believe the Holy Spirit has shown me what is right but so must you make, do the same work interpreting Scripture. If not, you will always believe what someone tells you instead of believing something for yourself. And my job as your pastor is not to spoon-food you and make you believe something, it's to lead you to truth for you to believe not what the pastor said or what the preacher says, this is what I believe. And so that's why we walk through these difficult passages. That's why we understand these truths, because it is very foundational for what we believe for now and for the future. So understand there's great distinctions in these interpretations. It determines you what you believe here has great 
eschatological implication, meaning that means has great implications of what you believe will happen in the future. So understand, it's important what I understand these things, and it's important that I understand what I believe. So let's get prepared, amen? Let's stand together and let's read God's word together. Mark chapter 13, verse 14 says, But when you see the abomination of desolation, standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house, or take anything out. Let the, let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may, let me turn my page here, forgive me, it may not happen in winter, for in those days there will be such great, such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says, look, here is Christ, look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, have I told you all things beforehand. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of uh, being able to, to be the pastor of Bethesda. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being able to walk through very difficult passages of Scripture. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have, Lord, I believe with all my heart in your sovereignty, Lord, you have brought us to this passage for this moment, for this audience who are in person, who are watching online. Lord, I believe you have called us to rightly know, understand, and believe your word. So Lord, today we come together in sovereign reverence or humble reverence of your word, recognizing your sovereignty, your power, your might. And so Lord, I pray that you would give us, you would illuminate our minds and God, you convict our hearts. And God, may we surrender, Lord, not to what we believe, but what your word says. And God, may we be changed by your words. God, I don't, play, I don't uh, ask for intellectual knowledge today. Lord, I pray for heart change today. So, Lord, lead us to your truth, and may we be moved by it. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as we came to this passage of Scripture, I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, past Sundays, um, as we first started and got back into Mark chapter 13, that... Um, that Jesus, again, he's, he's entering the Holy Week. It's Wednesday. Just in two days, Jesus would be taken by that, this Sanhedrin that rejected him in Jerusalem. They would beat him in the middle, throughout the middle of the night. They would have these mocked um, trials, if you will. They would deliver him to Pontius Pilate. Then the Herod. And then Pilate would bring Jesus before them and say, would you rather have Barabbas or Jesus? And they said, give us Barabbas. They rejected him. They would then take him to, the, to Calvary, as we just sang about a minute ago. 
And there the Jews would watch as Sanhedrin, those scribes, those Pharisees, those Sadducees, those elders, the Jews that were gathered there. Over a million Jews would have been in Jerusalem at the time. And they'd watch them crucify our Lord and Savior. You can imagine, this is just two days before that. They're gathered outside the Mount Olives, sitting there. Disciples have seen and they believe in Jesus. They followed him. They've seen him heal the blind, the lame, the leper. They've seen the words in which he spoke. They've seen the power of his hands and his miracles. They know he is the Messiah. Yet the Jews that they have looked and revered and followed most of their life are now rejecting. They've seen the hatred and, and, the, and the voices of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the scribes, and fair, um, religious leaders. They've seen how they treated Jesus in Jerusalem just today. And as they're leaving, they've seen the elaborate nature of Herod's temple, the great stones. And one of the disciples says in verse 1, as they're leaving, look at these great temple and the magnificent nature of these stones. And Jesus looks to those disciples and says, and prophesies, the greatest prophecy that would um, authenticate the divinity of Christ, that every stone with which the temple was laid would be overthrown upon one another and that there would be no building in Jerusalem that would be left. Jesus would prophesy in that moment that those who rejected him, the city that rejected him, would face God's judgment for their rejecting of him, for their crucifying him. And in that moment, he would prophesy of their coming judgment. The disciples would say to him, after hearing those words, that prophecy, that every stone would be thrown under, verse 2 of chapter 13, and there wouldn't be any stone left. Jesus would sit down with those disciples, and, and they would want to know, after what he said about the prophecy of the coming judgment of God against Jerusalem and all of the Jews, Jesus, when are these things going to happen? Jesus, not only when are these things are going to happen, but God, what are signs that we know that these things are about to take place? Jesus would begin teaching as we looked at last week. He'd begin teaching about, um, at the very beginning, the first, false signs. These were things that were not um, the, the, the end, were not the destruction. He talked about the false signs. The false signs would be false Christ who would come. There'd be war, um, wars, earthquakes, and famines, but that was not the coming judgment. Last week, we looked at how God, Jesus, gave prophecies and promises. He gave prophecies that they were going to face persecution and suffering, and He gave promises that He would give them everything that they need. This morning, He gives a new section of His Olivet discourse, and now He gives a sign that they are to look for of when. These things are going to happen. They've asked, when will these things take place? And what will be a sign? And Jesus gives us signs, if you will, at the beginning of this passage, to prepare them for what's to come. So the very first thing that we should prepare when it comes to tribulation, we should prepare first for a long sermon. Just kidding. <laughs> As I was studying this week and I was preparing all this, I, I said that should be my number one point. I, you can see it, it's not actually my number one point, but you really should be prepared for a long sermon. Um, but very beginning, you should prepare by looking for signs. They ask, what signs? And he says, um, at the very beginning of this passage in verse 14, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing, 
Ooh. Thematic. Man, I didn't even know I had that in me. That was not in the notes. <laughs> um, that was good. I need to, hey, we need to plan that for a little bit later, too. Um, be prepared by... <laughs> And I, I have just got out of my mouth, prepared by looking for signs, and a sign of music came. <laughs> Woo, I can't believe that. That is, I'll I tell you, I'll never forget that. That's hilarious. I'm going to have a little bit trouble composing myself, as you can tell. When you see, listen to the verse in verse 14, but when you see, so he tells them to visually look for a sign, look for something. Now, what are they looking for? Look at the verse here. When you see the abomination of desolation. Abomination is defined as something that's repugnant to God, something that is profane to God, something that is just terrible in the, in the, in, in the eyes of God. Desolation is just what it sounds like. Desolation is something that has been deserted, something that has been wiped down, has been left laid bare, if you will. So if you put that together, when you see the abomination of desolation, this is an abomination that something's profane or um, repugnant to God that leads to desolation, right? Something happens in the eyes of God that's seen as repugnant, profane, and therefore it leads to desolation of that area, right? So as you put these together, this would be the idea when you see, if you took this in the idea of what have they been talking about? They've been talking about the temple, right? They saw the magnificence of the temple stones. And he says, not one of these stones will be left until they're all thrown away. So they've been talking about the temple. So when you see an abomination in the temple, something that happens in the temple that is profane or that is um, grotesque in the eyes of God, when you see that happen in the temple, be prepared. That's going to lead to the temple being deserted abandoned, forsaken, wiped out. So that is the imagery of what Jesus is saying. When you see this abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. So the abomination of desolation is seen not only in Mark, but it's seen throughout Scripture. We actually first see it probably in Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 to 26, 27. Um, and arch, the archangel Michael gives Daniel a vision of future things. And in this vision, he sees this very same description of abomination of desolation. It's seen in Daniel 9. It's also seen in Daniel 11. So here's a, here's a big thing that you must come to is what did I say? It's three different interpretation. Was this fulfilled historically in the eyes of the first disciples? Or for Daniel... In the hearers of the first um, Israel, the people of Israel who would heard it from Daniel, was it first fulfilled there, a past? Was there a present for the life of disciples because Jesus now does calls upon these words? Or was it just a future fulfillment? Now, I gave you a basic hermeneutic principle, and I, I know that sometimes this seems very academic in nature and going through some of these things, but listen to me. I don't give you these things just because I want to throw out academic stuff. I say this because you as an individual here in this church or watching online, you must be able to interpret Scripture on your own. 
If not, you're always going to depend upon a preacher or Sunday school teacher or someone else to give you God's word by spoon-feeding it to you. And thus, you will always be on what Hebrew says, milk, and not on solid food. You must be able to determine, to interpret Scripture on your own. We must all do that. So therefore, we must work through these things individually. So what the hermit principle I told you was that something can never mean something to us that did not first mean to them, right? And so that's a basic hermeneutic principle. I can't come to this passage and says, well, this is what this passage means to me. And say, well, this is what it means to me, and it, but it doesn't matter really what it meant to them like 2,000 years ago. No, it has to first mean something to them before it can first mean something to me. It's not that Jesus said something in Mark and said, this is not for anybody in um, my time. This is for that person in 2,000 2000 years ago. They're going to read this verse and this is what's something for them. No, it's got to first mean something to them before it can mean anything to us. So, uh, and therefore we go through this other statement I said to you, context is king. So I think when we come to that, we come to this, then if there's an abomination of desolation, and Daniel spoke of an abomination of desolation, then there must be a past fulfillment during the original hearers of Daniel's time. And that would occur. In 167 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes, now, I've been practicing that. I probably butchered it, but listen, it, it still kind of sounded right, right? He was the ruler of the Seleucid army, or the empire, and he conquered Jerusalem at the time. This is factual. This is history. When he went in and conquered Jerusalem, he desecrated the temple. Sounds like abomination, doesn't it? Listen to what he did. He actually set up an altar in the Holy of Holies. If you know anything about Old Testament history, Holy of Holies was only a, time, only a place that had this veil that came across it and you only entered it once a year. Here he entered it, he desecrated it, and he put an altar to Zeus in the Holy of Holies. Not only did he establish an altar to Zeus in the Holy of Holies, he also created an altar to himself, made a statue of himself in there. He ceased the sacrificial system of the Jews. He would not allow them to sacrifice in the temple at all. He not only would not allow them to sacrifice, but also would cease them allow, um, circumcising their children, which was a big thing for the Jews. He also insists that they did sacrifice, but not the sacrifices of the Levitical law. He actually commanded that they would sacrifice swine or pig on the altar that he built to Zeus. He would also set up a brothel in the temple chambers. It was an abomination. Imagine the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, and there it's been desecrated, it's been profaned by this leader that happened in 167 BC. And a lot of proponents would say the abomination and desolation of Daniel would be a past fulfillment of 127 by Antiochus Epiphanes. So, but what about this? What about Jesus in this days? That was before Jesus. And Matthew, by the way, uh, Matthew's account in talking about abomination and desolation, Matthew 24, 15, Jesus is. So when you see the abomination desolation spoken by the prophet of Daniel standing in the holy place. So Matthew's account, actually Jesus references the very words of Daniel's prophecy. So some would say if, if Jesus is picking up the words of Daniel, therefore there must be a fulfillment during the time of Jesus. 
And that would be what a present fulfillment would make sense in light of Mark chapter 30 that says, I truly, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So some would advocate for a present fulfillment, present during the life of the disciples, of an abomination of desolation that would take place during the life of these who would hear this the very first time, these disciples who he spoke to that day. There was a first century Jewish writer by the name of Josephus. Josephus is a very popular um, Jewish historian that we study a lot from. Josephus would write a book called The Jewish Wars. And in his book, he described that in 67 to eight, um, 68 BC, I mean, not BC, AD, <laughs> after Jesus, just before the destruction of the temple, which was 70 AD, Josephus, by the way, not only told these things, he told these things based upon first-hand knowledge. Josephus led, was a leader of a Jewish resistance um, um, against the Rome, and he was captured by the Romans during this time. Josephus believed that um, the abomination was fulfilled in A.D. 67 through 68, when that summer, in winter, I mean, I'm sorry, that winter and spring of that 67 and 68, Jewish zealots took over the temple, the temple in Jerusalem. And they permitted criminals to enter the Holy of Holies. They allowed them to commit murders actually in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And the climax of their abomination, if you will, they took a, their leader, which is, I, th- I pronounce it, Fanny, um, they nominated him as their high priest. It was seen as an abomination. Abomination, they were letting criminals, an abomination that there were murders were taking place in the temple. He saw that as the abomination. Listen, he says in this passage, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing, when you see that, when you see the abomination know that it's going to lead to desolation. Three years later, Jerusalem would be destroyed, leveled. Josephus believed the abomination of desolation. The abomination was the Jewish zealots that took over the temple. The desolation was the destruction of Jerusalem by Titus. Josephus was taken by Titus, was a, um, was a prisoner of war, if you will, because of his influence among the Jews, Titus would, would lobby with um, Josephus to try to convince the Jews to surrender. Rome, through Titus, was evading Israel. And he was using Josephus to no, no, negotiate for the Jews to surrender. Josephus declared in his writing that he believed that the Roman conquest and invasion and destruction of the temple under the Romans, was a fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy and Daniel's prophecy. So some would say it was a pass in the Maccabean period of um, um, Antiochus. Some would say it's a present during um, Titus' invasion with Rome in in 67 to um, 70 BC, I mean AD. But some would interpret this passage of Scripture as a future fulfillment. And some would say this passage here, when, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing, 
As you go to that passage, if you look at, you keep following with me, where he ought not to be. So you see the pronoun there, he. He actually comes from, it's not in the Greek there, the he is actually comes from the participle or, or, um, of um, describing the word standing there. Standing, the Greek writer, um, the word standing there is the masculine perfection participle of standing. It gives the idea of he is standing. And so therefore, the he is added in our English because there, the um, standing there is, has a masculine of a he. So some would use that to understand that they're talking about an individual, that this um, abomination and he's standing here is referring to a person and this person would be identified as the Antichrist. That Daniel would be referring to, and so would Jesus and Mark and also in Matthew, would be referring to a future Antichrist who would come. A future person who would be standing where he ought not to be, and that would be standing in the temple and doing what he ought not to do. He creating abomination, the Antichrist creating abomination um, before the Lord in his temple. Second Thessalonians, by the way, 2, 3 through 4 um, would be uh, a passage that's used to support a man of lawlessness, as um, Paul says to the church of Thessalonians, that is identified as the Antichrist. And some would say that this is a future prophecy that Jesus has given to the disciples and that he's referring, referring to a greater um, Antichrist who's going to come. Is it believed that this Antichrist would, at the beginning of seven years of tribulation, that he would have set up, um, restore um, Jewish worship in Jerusalem, that he would rebuild the temple and he would rebuild the worship of um, the Jews, as you know, 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. The temple has not been rebuilt in Jerusalem since. So there's a belief that what Jesus is referring to is an antichrist who's going to come, who will rebuild the temple, restore worship in Jerusalem at the beginning of seven years. The abomination of desolation is that three and a half years into the tribulation, the Antichrist will break his covenant with the Jews. He will end all sacrifices. He will desecrate the temple. And he'll proclaim himself to be God. And that is what the future fulfillment of this passage, those who would hold that view would see. But when you see the abomination of desolation where he ought not to be, that is the Antichrist standing in the future temple who would desecrate the temple that would be the abomination, and therefore he would lead to desolation among all the earth. It would lead to the um, desolation here would be three and a half years of tribulation like the world has never seen. So understand that these are the different views of this very beginning of this passage of scripture. Now you know why I said prepare for a long sermon. <laughs> So I think you, you have to understand that is the view. There, some would say, uh, a solution would say, well, it's not just one of these, but maybe it's two of these. Some would say that the, a better solution would say that I believe in a present fulfillment, meaning that this would be fulfilled in Ju um, Jesus' time, and, but it also would be a future fulfillment. So this was fulfilled in 70 AD, but Jesus is also referring to 
a future tribulation. But you see what else he says. He doesn't just end here. There's a lot to this passage, and I've got to move really fast. So listen fast, okay? Number two, prepare to flee. Listen to what he says here. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. It's very clear here, Jesus Whatever you believe, Jesus is trying to prepare those who he's hearing that day. I do, personally, I will tip you off a little bit of what I believe. And I believe in hermeneutic principle. It can't mean something to them. It can't first mean to us. So I believe that he's not speaking gibberish to them. They understood what he was talking about. And I believe it had application for them. He's clearly given them signs. And he even gives them steps that they are to take in preparation. And he says to them, be prepared to flee he even gives clear distinctions of things that they are to do in their preparation. Verse 15, he says, let the one who's on the housetop not go down. During the New Testament times, um, roofs were flat. Um, everyone had a house and they had a flat roof. And actually they used the roof on the top of the roof, well, kind of like we would do over the front porch or side porch. But they would use it particularly to, to kind of stand and be outside a little bit. But also used it for a place to pray, to gather He's saying here that when you see the abomination, flee. Don't go down. You would have steps that would be outside the house that would lead you up to the roof. He's saying when you go down the steps, don't go in the house and get anything. You imagine if there's a crisis in your house and you've got to flee, whether it's a hurricane and you've got to flee to another area or a fire or something, most of you, all of us would say, okay, what is one thing in the house I need to get before we go? One thing I want to hold on to. Jesus says to these disciples, when you see the abomination, there's no time to get the personal belongings that you want to hold on to. You got to flee. You got to get out. You got to go. He not only describes that, but look, verse um, 15 here, he says, let the one who's on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. Verse 16 says, let the one who's in the field not turn back and take his um, cloak. The cloak was an outer outer garment. They would use it as kind of an outer jacket, if you will. It was used at night um, that one would put on to keep person warm. But during the daytime, the outer cloak was taken off and used because of working. You would have more flexibility to do, do different things. The imagery here, someone's working in the field, they don't have their outer cloak on or their outer coat on because they're working. They hear that abomination of desolation has, has occurred or the abomination has occurred. He says, don't go over to get your cloak on the side of the field or don't go to your house to get it. You need to flee as soon as possible. It really gives me the imagery. I don't know if you think about this as you go to this passage of scripture, but it's, I think of, um, oh, uh, it just escaped me, but the lady who was running um, from Sodom and Gomorrah and turned back and turned into a pillar of salt. Lot's wife. Lot's wife. I couldn't think of, that's it. But she turned back. It's the imagery of not, don't turn back. There's no time. Flee. There's an urgency here. In 67 AD, um, 68 AD, when the zealots took over the temple, we understood, history tells us, Josephus and others would tell us, um, Eubius, I think, is one of the writers who would tell us that there was a mass exodus of Christians that fled Jerusalem. A fourth century writer would tell us that Josephus would write, he would actually say these words that the Christians leaving Jerusalem were like swimmers deserting a sinking ship. They were massively getting out of there in, in, in great, quick, with urgency, they were fleeing. 
We understand that Jesus gave these words to his disciples in 68 AD, 67. They did just what he said when they saw the abomination of the zealots and criminals killing and murdering in the temple. The Christians fled. Listen to what else he says in this passage of scripture. In verse um, 17, at last for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. He describes the difficulty of fleeing, the imagery, he tells them to flee to the mountains. So flee the city of Jerusalem, go into the mountains of Judea and, and different areas. In doing that track, it would be a, a hard hiking, walking, surviving in the woods. He, he knows this is going to be a difficult journey, hike, fleeing for many people. And he says to prepare he prays that it won't be for those who have, um, it, how difficult it would be for those who are pregnant and those who have um, young children. In verse um, 18, he says, pray. He says, pray that it, it, it may not be went, um, winter here, happen in winter. I think it's a command that Jesus tells them to pray. I think it's important for us to understand that as we prepare for tribulation, it's important for us to pray. Pray that, that um, for God's timing, the right timing. Next, he, he, pray, he says, be prepared for tribulation. In verse 19 and 20, listen to what he says in this passage of Scripture. For in those days there will be such tribulation has not been from the beginning of creation that God has created until now and never will be. He tells them to be prepared for tribulation. He describes that this tribulation has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now or never will be. Again, it describes, it depends on how you interpret this passage of Scripture. But if you imagine with me Jesus and his disciples, they've just seen well over a million Jews in Jerusalem for Passover. Jesus and his disciples have seen the religious leaders, all of them, Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, elders, reject Jesus. They've seen the great elaborate Herod's temple. Now Jesus sees and proclaims a prophecy of how religious leaders, the Jews, and all of Jerusalem would be judged for rejecting Jesus as the Messiah and how they'd be judged for how they crucified him, condemned him to death, and hung him on the cross. Disciples want to know when. They want to know what the signs will be. Can you imagine in 70 AD, Titus would lead an invasion of Roman army into, into Jerusalem. During this time, if you go back through history of Israel, when Babylon, when Assyria would come against Israel, the Jews would not flee from the city. They actually would flee to the city. You see, people lived all over Israel, and people lived in countrysides and, and houses in the mountains and different things, and there was no protection from armies. And so the greatest defense that they had was running to the city, where the city had walls for defense, where the city had soldiers to defend. And so the Jews would run not from the city, but they would run to the city. So as Titus in 70 AD 
led a Roman army to Jerusalem, those Jews, just like Jesus had just saw, had made their way into Jerusalem. And when Titus um, led an invasion to destroy Jerusalem, history tells us, listen to me, history tells us that 1.1 million Jews would be killed in that invasion. History would tell us that the rooftops that he tells to, to run away from would be full of starving women and children. When an army would invade a city, they would cut off all the food supplies and let them starve to death until they got weak before they overtook them. Streets were full of bodies of elderly. Children were swollen with bellies, would roam through the streets looking for food. Jerusalem could not even bury all the bodies of all the dead in Jerusalem. So they just took the bodies and threw them over the walls. Jesus would say in this passage of scripture, for in those days there will be tribulation that has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. Jerusalem would be destroyed and at this point, It has never been the same again. Some would say that Jesus is referring to that destruction under Titus. Some would say that he fulfilled then, but there is a future fulfillment, a future things that was come. Daniel Daniel 12, they would say this because of the language that's also used in Mark and also used in Daniel that's used that um, that will never be. So it's, it's giving a greater emphasis that there is a greater all-time um, crisis, tribulation like never before. He, they would also use the imagery that we see in this passage to support a future view where it says, in those days there will be such a tribulation as not been from the beginning of creation that's created until now and never will be. So it's a present and also a future. And so therefore they're using the imagery that there is a future greater tribulation that's going to come that will never be like we've ever seen before. In this passage of scripture, he says in verse 20, if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. The understanding of that passage are different, is different views, of course. Some would say the, the time would be cut short, would interpret those as, as Jews, that God cut short the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. If not, there would not be any Jews left. So the sake of the elect there is um, interpreted as the Jews, um, that there would not be any Jews left. This also can be interpreted by Christians, um, you know, as we understand that, as I said, he said, look for the abomination of desolation. Josephus told us that in 68, 67 AD, that the Christians fled like swimmers um, um, swimming away from a, a ship that was sinking. A million point one million Jews died, but no Christians passed. Maybe I'm sure there's a few, but not the number. Why? Because they had fled three years before. So the imagery here, this passage, uh, for the sake of elect whom he chosen, he shortened the days. So he gives the imagery that the Christians were spared 
and saved, that salvation would go to the ends of the earth. Some would say that this is a future fulfillment, the, uh, for, but for the sake of the elect who he's chosen, he shortened the days. It's imagery of um, Jews who will come to know the Lord during that seven years of tribulation and that he'll cut off the time of tribulation to seven years or three and a half years because tribulation is seen by most who believe the future fulfillment that's going to be three and a half years of tribulation. He's going to cut that time short or there will not be any Christians left on the face of the earth. So I think it's important for you to understand what this, all this is. I know there's a lot of information you're taking in and I think you're, you probably feel like, I feel like I've sat in a class, but it's important for you to understand all these different things. And it's important for you to understand what do you believe? Why? Why do I go through all this? Some of you say, you know what, Jonathan? I'm a pan-millennialist. I just believe it's all going to pan out. I'm with you all the way. But listen, this is why it's so important for you to know what these things are and know what you believe. Because the very next verse, listen to what he says. And if then anyone says to you, look, here's Christ, and look, there he is, do not believe it, for false Christ's and false prophets will rise, perform signs and wonders to lead, listen, to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Listen to me. After the destruction of the temple, there was those who would rise up who would claim that it would be Christ. False teachers would arise, claim that they were Christ, to lead people astray. That was happening then, and as I've said to you then, there is nothing new under the sun. And just as there are those who rose up then to proclaim that they are Christ, to lead others astray, there are those who are rising up every day of the week to lead you astray. And what, who are they preying on? They're preying on Christians. They're preying on you. Because, as I said to you, if you don't determine what you believe, you'll just get what you believe, what someone will feed you. And so there's a false teacher on every corner of the block who's going to feed you what they want you to hear, knowing that you've not studied enough, you've not determined enough, you've not read enough, you've not believed enough, you've not paid attention enough to determine what you believe yourself, and you'll bite into what they're teaching you, and their sole desire is to lead you astray. So listen, so why is this all important? Why do I need to understand this? Why do I need to determine what I believe? So you won't be led astray. That's the biggest thing I have about these things. And I think it's important as we look through this, what is most false t- teaching revolved around? In times. Future things. Eschatology. Jehovah Witnesses, Mormonism, um, this... Mother God Church, you name it, the Moonies, Jim Jones, all of them are revolved around end times teaching. So understand, be prepared. I think the next word for uh, being prepared for, for tribulation is be prepared for false teachers. Listen, don't, be, don't, don't believe everything you hear. I know, I know, I hope that you know that not everything on Facebook is true. Right? 
But go alongside of that. Not everything you hear from a preacher is true. Now, everything you hear from a televangelist is true. I don't care how many books they've written. Know what God's word says for yourself so you can determine and you can spot a fake when you see it. Be prepared for false teachers. Lastly, be on guard. No matter what you believe in this, whether you believe in a, a, a present fulfillment, whether you believe in future fulfillment, or whether you believe in both, there's a present and a um, future fulfillment, where you're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, a-trib, make up a trib, um, you, you've got to understand this. Verse 23, be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. You know, if, if today we just decided we wouldn't do this, but decided we would pull the fire alarm today, probably all of you would go into a panic, right? But probably next Sunday, if you came in here again and we pulled a fire alarm again, you're like, oh, they're just doing testing. They kind of did that last week and we realized it was just an accident. If the third Sunday in a row we pulled the fire alarm again, most of you probably wouldn't even move. You'd probably just keep going. What's happened three Sundays in a row? There's really nothing to be alert of. There's no really issue there. It's just something they're having problems with. And you would just kind of get to where you ignored the alarms. And many times in our lives, that's what happens, right? We have an alarm in our car. The the light's been telling us for 10,000 miles we should change our oil or something's wrong. One time we had, I have a little truck and... um, we had an alarm that was going off in my truck and, and one day um, Brady's dad said, hey, the light just went off. I don't know. Evidently, it fixed itself. I went in to get inspected, come to find out the alarm had been on so long the light bulb had burned out. I'm not kidding. <laughs> we just, you ignored it so long it just, it just gave up itself. I tell you this because listen to me today. There are some of you today, listen to me, it's the sound of my voice who are watching online. And God has been sending alarms to you. God's been showing things to you in his word. He's been trying to get your attention time and time again. What's the the value? What good of alarm is if we're not going to listen to it? What good is God's word if you keep ignoring it? What good is God's alarms going off speaking to you through a friend if you're not going to listen? What good is God sending tribulation in your life if you're going to ignore it? What good is God sending warning signs to you if you just keep ignoring them? You may have knowledge of them, but what's the point if you just keep living your life as if they do not exist? It's Friday. I mean, it's Wednesday. Friday, the Jews would get the warning when they beat Jesus. They ignore that warning. They would get another warning when they saw him being given over to Pontius Pilate. I find no fault in him. They'd forget the warning. Say, give us Barabbas. They reject the warning when they saw him hang on the cross. And he'd cry out, Father, Father, forgive them. 
for they know not what they've done. They wouldn't ignore the warning as they saw him hung on that cross. They would ignore the truth when they would hear that he had risen again. 70 AD, the alarm went off and they were not prepared for God's judgment. They ignored all the warnings and they they faced the wrath of God. Here's my fear. There are those today that you're here and listen, you're watching online. You've heard the warnings. You've been in Sunday school. You've been in in church. You've heard pastors preach. You've heard friends teach. You've heard time and time again. You've got a lot of head knowledge about what God's word says. But you've never allowed God's word to change you. Why not today say, God, I want to be prepared. I want to be prepared. No more ignoring your warnings. I want to run to you, Jesus. Today, I want to flee to you, Lord. Today, I want to pray to you, Lord. Today, I know more tribulation is going to come into my life, but Lord, I want to run to you. Today, I want to find peace with you, God, today. Would you bow with me? Lord, I love you. I thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we knew, know today as we stand here and pray that you are coming again. And God, as your word says in Zechariah, you're coming to give mercy to those that are yours and you're coming to bring judgment upon those who are not. Today, Lord, you've given words of warning. Lord, you've desired to bring, to prepare us, Lord, for the future as you desire to prepare those during that time. Lord, I pray today that we would not hear the alarms and the warnings, the call to be prepared, the call to be on guard, and ignore your word today. Lord, may today be the day we surrender, Lord, to you. Lord, thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.